0: Welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene here, your agent in Toronto.
1: Hello, Eugene. It's Candy here, your agent in Chicago. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. Thanks, Candy. How are you? Pretty good. Not too shabby. All things considered. Good. Hey, I want to give an an update because I, I mentioned last week that Sheila had had some surgery. Yes. So I just wanted to let people know that she's doing really well good um that she doesn't have to keep her head down anymore she had to do that for for a week but that's that's passed and um she's still getting eye drops we go back to the doctor in in a couple more weeks and uh her vision in that eye should start to come back over the next few weeks so i just wanted to let our listeners know that uh that she's doing really well and uh she spent the day out in the garden yesterday um getting a little bit of fresh air because she's been really kind of uh cooped up and uh you know she'll be going back to work in a another day or so um at least working from home so all all is well so far we just have to hope that that vision comes back as it should in in that eye
1: great good to hear i'm glad to hear that and um stag and i are doing very well we're very grateful for everyone who's been um been there for us and uh, giving us positive vibes. As I mentioned last week on the podcast, we, our landlord had a fire that has displaced us, but we are not displaced. We do have a great place to stay. We're warm and cozy and chem sponges have become my new best friend.
0: What is a chem sponge?
1: Oh uh, yeah. Doesn't it sound funny? Cause you know, I'm into my chem trails. Well, this is a chem sponge and it's a dry cleaner sponge. And I ordered it off of the ordering machine the other day and um, it was $25 for four sponges. I thought that was a little severe.
0: (laughs) sounds, you know, we talk about chem, it sounds like we need to get Sarah on to talk about this, Uh, but if it's actually, uh, you know, not related to chemtrails, maybe we're okay.
1: Right. It's not related to chemtrails. (laughs) It's a sponge that has dry cleaning chemicals in it. Oh, okay. So I got it for the paintings because I watched a lot of YouTube tutorials on how to clean um, smoke damaged um, artwork. And so uh, off we go. Yesterday I spent the whole day packing. I didn't pack books or DVDs yet. Um, The DVDs are in a glass case, thank God, with my criterion collection. So they seem fine, but I did take um, Beetlejuice and Pee Wee Herman and the ukuleles out of that cupboard and brought them over to the new place. Um, we are staying about a block away from the old place. It's so oh, intensely great. C- comfortable. So then I worked all day and our friends, Michelle and Megan came over at four o'clock and I had prepared some boxes to put in their car. We drove them a the block away and then we went out in the backyard on the deck and I'll share some of those photos. Um, and we put the artwork out there and, and they helped me wipe it down with our, was
0: sponges. that successful? Did these chem sponges work? I will tell you,
1: it's pretty mind blowing. You could, you know, we did the sniff test. Okay, this is smoky. They did the chem sponge and you could not smell the smoke anymore.
2: Wow. And
1: they're all filthy. They get very gray and filled with soot. And then I'm thinking about these very expensive sponges. It turns out you can wash them. So I washed them this morning and we'll see, apparently they get reactivated and you can use them again
0: wow that's good yeah.
1: so i did take a lot of the bigger stuff i didn't take any of our smaller paintings out yet but i did get the big stuff and our host and where we're where we're living um has allowed us to use a bit of their garage to keep the paintings and let them air out now if oh, they man. do get smoke free i'll that's bring great. them in here it's wonderful so that's what i've been doing and i am happy i've got a place i can make a cup of tea and watch my uh, bad reality TV shows so you know everything's great
0: <laughs> great
1: yeah and we are treating well, this as a miracle and a blessing, a door. Opener. Well, that's
0: that's the best way to to do yeah. it, I think. Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that your community is there for you. In, yes, uh, yes, as in, well as everybody, area, your friends, and yeah. Um, that's that's really fantastic. Yeah,
1: yeah. So now, one thing that did have a little um, problem was, and I found out the other day when we did our. Um, we were doing some pre-recording or some planning and you and I were talking on zoom, I can't plug in the microphone anymore. So that's in the future. I'm using the microphone on the computer. Hopefully. Why I can't you, operate.
0: why can't you do that?
1: The um, back of the uh, plug that goes to the computer, the um, USB cord somehow must've got bent when we packed it. Oh, or, so you,
0: you just need a new cord.
1: Yeah. I'll get a new cord. Yeah, you're oh, right. Yeah, and that, I'm using firefighters knocked it around. I mean, you know, god love firefighters but you can tell when they've been in your house <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah dainty is not is not dainty what call is them, not right? the
1: word at all and you know i still appreciate it very happy i love firefighters and um and i was so glad to see them a couple of weeks ago so there you go um i haven't done any cooking at the new place but i did bring my mixer over um and a cake Trey, a cake pan had survived. A, a cake pan and a big cake glass that I got from my friend Karen who lives in Tennessee. So I'm gonna have to make some cakes or something. It's a sign from you know the universe that I, I still can bake.
0: <laughs> Sheila made lemon squares the oh. other day. I may never make lemon squares again.
1: Oh, they were that good, huh?
0: They were so amazing. Wow. The uh the crust part, the bottom part, the mm-hmm. texture on it was just so. Wow. beautifully perfect the um the kind of uh custard part on top yeah. was a little bit i'm going to say jigglier than mm-hmm. most lemon mm-hmm. squares a little bit on the jiggly and sticky side mm-hmm. which makes them a little bit more difficult to handle than some okay. but they're so lemony oh and, and yummy and delicious i gotta say um the next time you know she suggests that that i make some lemon squares i'm gonna to have to say you know i would but i just can't compete so i'm gonna be, <laughs> be the tester of your lemon square
1: wow that is those are fine words coming from you that's amazing they must be good yeah so eugene i'm sitting here look what i'm holding in my hand here it's right at the desk
0: Yes, the Gospel According to Billy the Kid by Dennis McCarthy.
1: Yep, I, I'm so into it that I'm still holding this copy and looking at the design of the cover and everything. And I love it so much.
0: Um, we no, both I, read it. We read it. I loved it too. From about from about the fifth page, I was just yes. hooked into this of yes. uh, this book. It has um, the most wonderful narrative voice. It's a story told to someone in a bar. Yes, and it has a kind of uh, casual matter-of-factness about the narrative, um, which is the voice of somebody telling somebody next to them a story. So it's in a way, it's very intimate.
1: Mm-hmm. Someone is
0: telling you that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it pulled me right in. The book has got a fantastic premise. It's full of surprises. Mm-hmm. It's full of delights. Um, I have to say probably I've enjoyed reading this book more than anything I've read in the past few years. I really, really love it. I completely
1: agree with you. It's the best fictional book I've read in several years. And guess what? We're so surprised and happy to tell our listeners that we have the author with us this week.
0: Uh, we sure do. We had it. We had a chance to, uh, uh, to spend some time with Dennis McCarthy Um A few days ago and uh he uh well you're just gonna have to hear the interview i'm not gonna say anything more about
1: it yeah it's fantastic and we'll talk to you next week email us your thoughts please go out and get this book that's all i can tell you a hundred out of ten go get this book do yourself a favor enjoy the adventure and we'll uh, let's let's see what dennis has to say
0: speaking we record conversations and they happen as they happen we do almost no editing um, unless there's Uh-oh. something we absolutely have to edit <laughs> uh, okay. but usually there usually there isn't yeah uh, so five four three two one recently both candy and i read a fantastic book called the gospel according to billy the kid by dennis mccarthy and he's here with us today Welcome to the agency, Dennis. Wow, <laughs> thank you.
3: I love that introduction that's that's thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Well, I'm thank so you. happy to have you here. I was a wreck all morning. I was so excited. I had a big cry and you're probably with two of your biggest fans.
3: Wow, okay.
1: Uh, I, and I, I mean where I want to start is hear you can I, I sign know, you
3: I, up? I signed as agents.
1: Yes, I know.
3: right? Well, um,
1: I think first of all, I want to tell our listeners you must go get this book. It's absolutely page turning, pop boiler exciting. Second, Dennis, if I may call you Dennis, you weren't absolutely. always a writer. You've been a lawyer. I, I think I saw that on Wikipedia.
3: <laughs> well, as a lawyer, yes, I was a writer. In fact, every job I've ever had, I've been a writer. Uh, But uh, I've been a government writer, uh, you know, a lawyer writer. I was a speech writer. uh, Never dreamed of writing fiction. Really? Really? Well, one novelist in the family is one too many.
1: (laughs) 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 We won't even say. Yeah, you're right.
3: and And yet fiction caught up with you. Yeah. Well, it did catch up with me um, because I retired about uh, 10, 11 years ago and um, I'm retiring and, and I'm reading and I've moved to the Southwest and I'm reading a lot of uh, uh, historical stuff about the Southwest and particularly New Mexico. And I love this country.
1: Oh.
3: And, uh, and a friend of mine who you folks, I believe, probably know, Peter Joseph.
1: Yes, I do.
3: Uh, Said to me one day in an email, uh, you know, there are two writers in the family. When are you going to write your book? <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know, yeah. And my feeling was like I said, you know, uh, there's already a novelist in the family, and there's no reason to have another one. And uh, he kept goading me, and yeah. I, I, you know, I've been reading an awful lot about Billy the Kid. He's a wonderful character. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe maybe Peter's right. Maybe I should just have some fun with it. So I just sat down and started writing and it turned uh, out to be an absolute ball.
1: Well, you know, you've done a great job. Like I said, it, it, it was so exciting. I, I couldn't put it down the first time I read it. And Peter um, is a very great guy and he what an inspiration to so many people. And I noticed you um, mentioned him in the um, beginning and, and our, our listeners should also check out his books. But I'm so glad he got you to do that. Because you took the Billy the Kid story and you found—I I don't want to—I don't know how to say it—it it takes course over twenty years, I would say. And if anyone knows the story of Billy the Kid, they might say that can't be possible.
3: Well, it wasn't possible,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beautiful—it's a, a novel, and that's the beautiful part. A little bit like, um, you know, we we still believe that um, Elvis might be alive.
3: Absolutely. I saw him once.
1: You did? <laughs> I thought I saw him at Kalamazoo. <laughs> yeah. Did you see him in real life or did you see him after he passed away?
3: No, I had somebody dressed up as Elvis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm from, I'm from Tennessee and I have to say I have never been uh, to Elvis's home. Um,
0: it's a weird experience. It is a weird experience. I'm and glad that I went, with. but it's strange. Yeah, we both
1: went. I went with Eugene once, and um, I've been, I've probably been five or six times. It's a very strange experience.
2: I'm sure it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, the pace of your novel really fascinated me. At first, I was a little bit like, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep up with this? The next thing I know, I was in it. How how did you come up with that? Is that something you can tell us about, or was it just your style?
3: Um. well, I, you know, I've never written fiction before, so I, I guess I can't really tell you. I was just interested in the character and just started writing about him. Had no idea where the story was going, uh, but Billy the Kid became became Billy the Kid through the Lincoln County Wars. And so I was reading a lot about the Lincoln County Wars, and I knew I, knew I was going to write about the King, Lincoln County Wars. Uh, and so, you know, I just started writing. And... Uh, and then at some point, oh well, I was um, I was at Christ in the Desert uh, Monastery, uh, mm-hmm. which is about an hour and a half out of Santa Fe. My wife and I were up there for about a week, and I had been writing while I was up there, and I was about halfway through the book, and I was sitting in the uh, in the uh, in the church there. Uh, just just quietly just thinking about various things and and all of a sudden I felt a tap on my shoulder and uh, and this voice behind me said uh, I was here what are you Mm going to write about me wow and and I thought whoa (laughs) that's that's rather intriguing notion
2: yeah and
3: uh, so you know then at that point the story took uh, you know I say 180 degrees, I don't know 360, 540, I don't like <laughs> it certainly took a big turn in the story and uh, and so you know I just went off in a totally different direction because I was I had pretty much gotten through a lot of the uh, Lincoln County Wars at that point and and I my character I knew was not the same character that uh Pat Garrett had written about Mm-hmm. You know, it was about a character named Brushy Bill Roberts, who was a real person, uh, and uh, and I thought, all right, well, let's just see where this goes. And 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 the, in fact, the entire writing experience changed dramatically because mm-hmm. because up to that point, I had been writing about what I had read, and and all of a sudden, now I had an opportunity to write about something that I hadn't read. You know, something that was Must just been- totally
1: in my mind. It must have been pretty exciting for you. Um, it was. We, why do we love Billy the Kid and, and and these stories, this era? Why do we love it so much?
3: Very good question. Uh, Billy the Kid, yeah, he's the most famous outlaw in the world. I think at mm-hmm. this point, he's even more famous than Robin Hood. Uh, yeah. you know, kids in Mongolia know who Billy the Kid is. Mm-hmm. 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 And um, he, he's really a man for all seasons. He's, every generation has a different Billy the Kid uh, because he's so malleable a personality. And part of that is the, the truth of the matter is we know virtually nothing about Billy the Kid. We know about the Lincoln County War, and uh, and we know he was a major player in that. But the people who wrote about it, the Lincoln County War, the people who wrote memoirs and that sort of thing. And I did read a lot of memoirs from mm. various folks who wrote at that time. And they tell different stories and they don't tell the same stories that Pat Garrett told. Mm. And the Billy the Kid that they write about is, is a kind of a different character. And uh, so he, you can, he, Billy the Kid at this point can be almost anything you want him to be. Mm. And sometimes he's a bad guy, sometimes he's a good guy. Um, And uh, the character, it's hard to say about the character that Pat Garrett wrote about in The Authentic Life of Billy the Kid. uh, Because, for starters, he didn't write a book. Uh, Ash Epson, who was a journalist, wrote it. He wrote it in about six weeks. And he made up stuff. And uh, at some point, I read the book, you know, when I first came out here, The Authentic Life, I read that, but then I began reading more and more about him. And finally it occurred to me that that Pat Garrett had written a novel. Mm. And Mm. although that's the the basis that all the Billy the Kid stories start from, almost everybody who wrote about Billy the Kid uh, started with Pat Garrett, uh, his version. I think Charlie Syringo wrote a very early biography of Billy the Kid. And he knew Billy the Kid. And Syringo was a, he was a pinkerton detective uh and he had wrote a very sympathetic story about Billy the kid and thought he was a great guy and uh you know it was just it just he's whoever you want him to be and he yeah. became who I, I didn't know what who he was and what I wanted to make out of him but he yeah. told me yeah so i just listened to him
1: yeah i think you know we've all been caught up in bureaucracy you know we get parking tickets we get you, as a lawyer, the novel tells us something about how ineffectual the law is at figuring out who's right and wrong sometimes, because he he was a victim of the legal system and the 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 powerful system of people who had teamed up to make money in the United States. In some ways, the Lincoln County War—how I looked at it, anyway.
3: Well, the Lincoln County Wars—it's you know it is a. It's a range war, mm-hmm. uh, but the history of it is written by the people who won the war. Yeah, and, and Billy was on the wrong side. Yeah, from that point of view. Yeah. So, so yes, they wrote a particular thing. Actually, Pat Garrett's version, I feel, is you know he's really pretty uh, neutral about who Billy is.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Miguel uh, Otero, who was uh, governor. Uh, one of the last, maybe the last governor of the, Arizona, of the New Mexico Territory, uh, wrote a book about Billy the Kid, and he talked to Pat Garrett and he talked to other people who were involved. And when he when he asked uh, Garrett about Billy the Kid, Pat said he's one of the nicest kids you'd ever meet in your life. Said he was absolutely fearless. He was absolutely loyal to his friends, uh, and you know he just got. Uh, pushed uh, by uh, people who were oh, doing very bad things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so Pat liked him well and and he knew him because they had been at-laws together. They'd both been uh, yeah. rustled cattle together
0: back in the earlier days. Yeah. I really well, loved when when you had you had Bill drop by Pat Garrett's office and they have this nice chat and go for dinner. That's it's just so wonderfully crazy. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, and and of course, you know, I don't think Billy ever ran into Pat again. I think the chances are pretty good that that Pat did not kill Billy the Kid. Yeah. Um And uh, you know, it's possible they they could have met each other at some point in the future. From, I think that's a possibility anyway. That a lot of people would hoot at that notion. Historians. Oh. Most well, you convinced
1: me. I mean, that's what's so great about the novel is I felt like I was right in there and it, it was true. And part of the truth is you the the, the novel has a lot about, you're, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I couldn't help but think of a very different novel, The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm not going to try to say wow. his last name. Do you know that novel?
3: Yeah, Katsunzakis.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you. I can murder any word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I couldn't help but thinking that, the, the longevity and immortality of characters is dependent on that ambiguity and the decisions that we want to exercise. And your novel definitely goes down that course with Billy to me. He is a mystical character. And, you, 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 and, and the care, all the characters are, you know, you did a great job.
3: Well, thank you, hon. That's interesting that you would bring up Sakas oh. because, you know, I did read that book, you know, 40 years ago, yes. 50 years ago, whenever <laughs> it came out. Yeah, longer than 40 I'm sure uh, and it could be an influence you know I certainly never thought about it that way uh, I hadn't in fact I hadn't thought about that book in 40 years probably uh-huh. but it was a fascinating book when I read it
1: absolutely yeah it's a favorite of mine and and it is that that kind of character how we want our characters it's better that Jesus was dead because it <laughs> makes him more noble you know and if he lived he might have been he wouldn't have been so famous yeah um yeah, I also, I laughed so hard in the Cuba chapter and I cried so hard in the Cuba chapter. I laughed at Colonel Roosevelt, it was a wonderful brief portrayal. He makes a cameo. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> I'm, I'm glad that worked. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, it was wonderful. I mean, he it just some of the phrases he was saying were fantastic. And then of course, I don't even wanna say the name, but we lose somebody. And I was brokenhearted. I don't want to give it away in case someone's going to get that book, but we do lose somebody and and and, and it was beautifully written.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it all worked. <laughs> really did.
1: <laughs> hey, Eugene, I wonder if you noticed all the music in the novel. Hmm. Because I thought it would trigger with you. And I wrote down some of the songs that are mentioned in here. There's streets I didn't of think about it, to be honest. Streets of Laredo, Goodbye Old Paint.
0: Mm, right, yes.
1: Solita Linda, La Marseille, on a fiddle. That's where I really thought, I wonder if Eugene noticed that. Because you know, Dennis, Eugene plays fiddle and he
0: builds a fiddle. No, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. There, there's actually two Goodbye Old Paints. There's the one that's the, the fiddle version. Um, that a lot of the old-time fiddlers, people you'll hear like Bruce Molsky will play, and then there's the uh, the cowboy song, which you might hear someone like Ian Tyson singing, and they're very much related, but they're slightly different melodies and slightly different structures. Hmm. Okay, are you are those songs? Are you not that, that means anything? But just right. it is
1: right. Oh, and then you mentioned Torlo Carolyn, and he is a blind. Irish harpist was that a real person?
3: Uh, actually he was a real person but uh, he, he a couple hundred years earlier.
1: Okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> and then the other song I noticed was The Vacant Chair and um, are those songs you love or that were appropriate for the times? How did you research that? Well I
3: they were definitely appropriate for the time uh, and some of them I'm uh, quite fond of. The, the one you didn't mention is the uh, the the song about uh, Brian Boru, the Irish warrior. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Billy says you know his aunt Kat used to sing that song to him when mm-hmm. he was a kid, and she, mm-hmm. but she sang it in Irish. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, well, Caroline was a uh, he was a blind harpist. He was absolutely a fabulous harpist and mm-hmm. uh and some of his music is out you should look him up on on uh youtube and, and listen to some of his stuff because it's, absolutely
1: it's, i do plan on on sharing those on social media the songs in your book for sure i'm going to post okay. videos of them when we, we do this I, I was pretty excited by it. it it really gave a great um vibe to the thing um and i'll have to i did i did remember that at had sung a song at the beginning, but I hadn't added up that I was going to hear several other songs during the, the novel, so it I, I had already passed that by when I was taking notes. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. Um, you know, Eugene and I have both been to San Antonio. Okay. You know, we're both Canadians, so going to the Alamo was a little bit of a weird thing. <laughs> we I wasn't hugely familiar with the history.
0: They had a fine souvenir shop. They did. That's about the best I could say about the Alamo. <laughs>
1: And my husband went with us, and he was terrified. He was filled with horror of the, you know, the story of the Southern War. And they also had First Nations dancing out front.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So- who are who actually not from that area, who they brought in from the east. Right. It was oh, okay. kind of weird. That's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the United States
3: interpretation for you. Yes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we were there, by
0: the way, for an accordion festival.
3: Did you by any chance uh, see a copy of uh, Travis's letter on the wall in the Alamo?
1: No, I wouldn't have known to look and I'm going to have to go back now. I, did, well, I didn't know. And again, I want to qualify. We're Canadians. So yeah. we didn't understand. understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And sure. and I was so overwhelmed by the tourist trappiness of the whole <laughs> thing. I found yeah. it really difficult to just settle down and and look at look for something authentic. Well, the first
3: time I went to the Alamo, the letter was on the wall. Hmm. And then, and then years later I went back and it was not there and and I complained. <laughs> yeah. right. And they said, "Well, it was in the archives." Oh. Uh, but I think afterward I, I, after that, I think they put up a copy of it. Yeah, that uh, it's 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 a beautiful piece of literature. I mean, it's truly a beautiful letter and and, and in fact, several years ago when I was working for the University of Tennessee, I got a a call from a woman who was uh, uh, doing a uh, a book about, uh, you know, a collection of Southern literature. And uh, she'd contacted me, I think because she was probably looking for uh, stuff about Cormac. And I told her she needed to put Travis's letter as, as a great piece of southern literature because it's, it is spectacular and you should go back and uh, pull it up and and read the whole letter it will break your heart
1: i promise you i will i i i'm intrigued by that and i i would say i was intrigued by roosevelt's um victory or death as well <laughs> i was out there cheering along with everybody <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay i have lots of notes here
0: so. while you look at your notes candy i'm going to yes. slip in a question yes <laughs> um Usually when we read historical fiction, we aren't faced with the kind of big literary questions and big human nature questions that you hit us with from the get go, um, such as what's our identity, what's fact, what's fiction, what's an outlaw, what's truth. Over over your whole book are all these questions that, that get explored in different ways. Um, throughout. Did you, did you by chance start with that kind of questioning? Well, I
3: started by just telling a story. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I had no idea where the story was going. Uh, as I said, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Lincoln County war initially. Uh, but one of the wonderful things I discovered in writing fiction is you, it, it opens up the universe for you. And in and one of the things I learned in in all of this and and these are some of the things that you're bringing out in your questions are I learned so much about myself
2: hmm.
3: Uh, hmm. when I was a speechwriter uh, f- f- for the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, one of my fellow speechwriters, I was talking to him one day, and he said, "You know, if you want to know what I think about, it, give me a pencil." <laughs> Beautiful. And that's what I discovered in writing this. You know, I discovered uh, things that you know that were just kind of roaming around in the back of my mind, but I didn't have good good uh, definitions for them. But in the actual writing, those things came out, and they all of a sudden made sense. And so, when I started writing, was I thinking about these things? No, I wasn't thinking about these things. But these are things that kind of wrestle around in my head and they they were logical things to come out in in in
0: the work. Did it take a long time to write this book?
3: Uh, it did take a long time mm-hmm. to write, yeah. And you know, somebody asked me how long I've been working on it. And I, I really, you know, it's a short novel. You know, you can read it in the time you get see a, a long movie, basically. Um, yeah. But I went through so many iterations, you know, Drafts, drafts after draft after draft. You know, I didn't keep count,
2: uh,
3: but and also, when did I start writing it? You know, I started writing. I guess when I first started, when I could say I started writing, when I first read the authentic life of Billy the Kid. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know I, that's where it was going to, yeah. but it, you know, it was because it was a lot of research. You know, a lot of background that I read of all that that fed into it, and you know, as Nikos Katsanzakas may have been when I started writing about it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. okay.
2: Tristel,
0: there's a line you wrote in, in this book, which uh, just sent chills down my spine. And I think in part it's because of the war in Ukraine right now, the invasion of Ukraine, but it's the line I'd have hated war when I was in the thick of it, if I hadn't loved it so much. What a what a chilling statement about our nature.
3: Uh, and I think that's probably pretty true. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm 78 years old, and uh, I'm losing half my vocabulary, you know, and names drift, drift away from me, just like, you know, like Um I'm trying to think of, uh, the, there was a particular writer that I read uh, and i can't remember his name and i can't remember the book but uh, the title of the book but he, he wrote in an absolute he was a journalist and and he spent his life going to wars all around the middle east and so on and he wrote beautifully about war and <coughs> and that, that book actually influenced me quite mm-hmm. a bit and i'm sorry i can't give the man credit for it
1: we'll find it. <laughs>
3: we'll
1: we'll I can't it, find it Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to guess. I would say James Jones, Mark Bowden.
3: Uh, Mark Bowden was uh, certainly had some horrible things to say, but uh, yeah. and uh, and I'm sure you know Bowden's uh, books about the border and you know Mexico and so on. I'm sure those were influential in, in this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, when when you start writing about this stuff, you know, as Cormac once once said, you know, a writer, what a writer does is he steals. Yes.
1: And,
3: and uh, I, you know, I know I took stuff from so many different people. I I have no idea mm. who those well, people are at this point. But yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Um. Well, and Picasso said, a good artist borrows, a great artist steals. So. There you go. And, you know, everything is made out of something else. When you, when you study art and we've talked about this on our, on our podcast, when we were, Eugene and I were young art students, how I learned how to paint was copying masters. Literally. I I can be a great forger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'd probably earn more money from your paintings. (laughs) I
1: would make way more money if I forged. Um, You know, the other thing is, and I'm sure that Eugene, you're going to agree with me on this. First of all, I'm not sure how easy it is to write action, but I'm telling you, I, I, my heart was beating. You know, you, you've got some great action when you describe um, in the Lincoln County war, I thought this was a fantastic scene where there was a household of people. You've got the people defending the house and trying to save their lives, the gang. And then you've got two or three women cooking in the kitchen. And you describe that they put bricks through the window and left holes. I'm sure there's a proper word for that for their guns to go through. They left a space between the bricks. Right. I I, I was stunned by that. It's it's so cinematic to me. I could definitely see your book as a movie. And I hope someone, you know, offers you. Would um, be nice. <laughs> it wouldn't it be nice? I know. I really think it'd be a marvelous movie, yeah. uh, an absolutely marvelous movie. And it's a it's a perfect length, too. It would be pretty transcribable.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed how that that group of people kind of took a break for breakfast. And, oh, and it's like, like, let's just stop the war for a few minutes. We've got to get some nourishment. It was amazing.
3: Well, I, you know, I, I'll have to give my wife credit for that. Oh. Uh, she had, talking in about reading Cormac's book, She's, one of the things she complained about, she says, nobody ever eats. And, I, you know, and, you know, and she didn't tell me that when I was writing my book, but I remembered that. And I said, well, of course people eat, you know. So yeah. so I had a meeting, you know, and and I put quite a, quite a bit of the, you know, the book opens with a the, with the meal.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, of course, because I like to write notes, I wrote down some of the food in that shootout. They had fried corn, okra, green beans, pork chops baked potatoes, squash, cornbread, apple and egg custard pies. I, I got so hungry and now I'm going to try to make an apple and egg <laughs> custard pie. <laughs> I'd I never know. heard of it before. So wonderful job. It was a magical scene. I, I hope someone films it because <laughs> I, you, you've got so many, you can have so many great, you know, the, the way they talk to some of your turns of phrases was pretty funny um, throughout the whole thing. Oh, and Billy made biscuits. Is that right? Yeah. I, well, I my cooked. Billy
3: made biscuits. Yes,
1: <laughs> I thought that was absolutely charming.
3: Yeah, Billy. Uh, actually, he did. Uh, the, the The real Billy the Kid actually worked as a short order cook uh, at one time before he came to uh, up in uh, Lincoln County area. He did work in a. Uh, in a little restaurant so oh,
1: well I don't know if okay. you've ever worked in a, in a restaurant Dennis but I will I can vouch cooks are outlaws <laughs> 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 so maybe that's it he was just unhappy he never made it as a chef <laughs> he had oh. to go out on the, the road <laughs> I also enjoyed that I think there was one part where some children had overheard someone use the word cocksucker <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist writing that down too because I kind of laughed out loud.
3: <laughs> well, one of the things I did when uh, in the language is if I was not comfortable with when that word came up in in uh, in history, mm-hmm. I would go back and check it. You know, Webster's uh, uh, International Dictionary is great yeah. for telling you first usage, and of course. Uh, uh, the OED, Oxford English Dictionary, tells you first usages too. So I didn't want to put in anything that that was not possible that he could have used a word. So
1: mm-hmm.
3: Coxsucker was one of those that I looked up. And I can't tell you when it was first appeared at this point. But I, I- can,
1: because I looked it up too. I think it was about 500 years ago. Oh,
3: okay. Wow. I,
1: I, I often use the Well, that the makes etymology. sense. Yeah, there's an etymology website I use all the time. And um, they give you a little bit of... of sourcing and um i guess it's like the oed but i did look that up and i had never heard the word calaboose before me either so i had to look that up and i didn't know that was another name for jail
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah Yeah. so i i had a lot of fun looking things up all right good Uh, well you're a
3: diligent reader than candy
1: oh yes thank you i i do enjoy the whole you know i like to learn things Um, calaboose. What else? Oh, I had never heard. I have no truck with you. Okay, would that be baggage like saying I've got baggage or history? I'm
3: sorry, I missed. Would
1: that be what? Um, I I believe at one point someone didn't want to kill another guy and he wasn't going to. He said, Let me out. Oh, I know it's when he was um, in his chains when he was locked up in jail and about to make an escape. He said, Let me go. I have no truck with you.
3: Okay, but you said you asked me, is that and it sounded like you said, is that Danish? And I.
1: <laughs> oh no, is that like baggage? I was I never used heard the word truck used like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. You know, I'm an
3: East Tennessean. Uh-huh. All right. And uh, a lot of East Tennessee language is old English. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a term that. You know, that certainly I heard is as, as a kid and so oh. on. It was not an uncommon term. Yeah. And uh and I've got Billy coming, you know, coming from uh basically coming out of an Anglo-Saxon you know, mm-hmm. Scotch-Irish uh mm-hmm. background. And you know, it, it's a term he could have used. And, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and it's an old term. I loved it. Okay. I loved it. It was really a
1: lot of fun. And I liked Garrett's a, sh- a skunk bear. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay.
1: All, also a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Um, Billy, we, uh, the, yeah. B- Billy did a, a fine job. As he's telling his story at a bar, he did a, a really great job of convincing us that it's a reliable story, that we ought to believe him. Mm-hmm. It just, his narration really had the ring of truth. I, I think if he was trying to pull the wool over our eyes, we'd, we we might have been suspicious. But I was never suspicious of his of his reliability. Wonderful. Were you thinking about uh, uh, about that, like how, how he should be positioning himself? I, no, I was just
3: trying to make I was trying to keep the language totally credible. You know, I, I really was. I didn't want to
0: get I didn't
3: want to get highfalutin.
0: Uh, you yeah. know, I didn't it realize. had a lovely sparseness about it that that would be very much how we would tell a story in a bar. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, I could I found I could hear his voice. Uh, and it just had this wonderful ring of truth about it. I really enjoyed the, the narration so much. Well, part of you know that it
3: was kind of an interesting uh, question with my editor at uh, University of New Mexico uh, press. Uh, because he's a good editor, uh, knows all the rules of the, you know, standard uh, books on how to, uh, you know, put in commas and so on. And there are a whole lot less commas, I will tell you, in the draft that I sent (laughs) than than the the one that came out. And I fought with him about a lot of it, and and we finally kind of reached a compromise. But one of the things I would tell him, because as you're saying, you know, this is narration and and he's telling a story. And when you're telling a story, to me, commas are things that are served either for two purposes. One is to prevent confusion and the other is to make a pause and they shouldn't have any other purpose. And and you know if if you read the the books on uh, how to punctuate they have lots of other purposes mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. took all those things out and 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 what I was trying to convince him is when you're telling a story you don't stop you know when you're telling a story you know and if, if there's a if there's a reason to stop in the language you know when you're telling the story you put a comma in. But you don't put a comma in there because some uh, scholar said, "Oh, a comma! should belongs there." And so, a lot of I think perhaps what you're picking up is is the fact that there aren't a lot of breaks in it. it you know, it does sound conversational. Uh-huh. Uh, and in my original version, I think it would have sounded even more conversational than than it actually came out in the end. Yeah. But keeping the sentences short helped a lot because the reality is we talk in sentences. I mean, we talk in in, uh,
0: very short sentences. Mm. Yeah,
1: and it helps with the pacing. I think that was part of the excitement.
0: Yeah. One thing I didn't expect at all was that the character of Billy had a vision, um, a a spiritual experience. Uh, Was it a miracle? He he sees the Padre being filled with with light. Um, and I think it changes him, doesn't it? It
3: does change him. Absolutely. You know, and as he, and you know, at the end of the book, you know, he says, you know, I, I finally understood basically oh. he's telling that story at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. And uh, so the things, the things that he says at the end of the book, and I won't talk about those things because I don't want to ruin the book for some right. Um But yes, it, it changes his, his, Changes his life, changes the way he views the world. And no, I wouldn't say it's a miracle. I would say it's a a mystical experience. And people have these things. Uh, Sure. Yeah. You you don't have to be, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to be a a saint or any, you know, Mm -hmm. just be a human being uh, alert in the world and and, uh, things happen. Uh, You know, there's, uh, there's, more that goes on in this world than is in your philosophy you know yes. Horatio, to paraphrase
0: shakespeare very badly
1: no wonderful and i wish more people would tell their kids that
0: you know and you've given so, uh, you've given uh billy a spiritual guide as well you've given him carlos who teaches him about so many things yes absolutely and that and i think that's important i think
3: that's i think it's important for for anybody to have a spiritual guide of some sort. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need more spiritual guides or we need need more people bumping into spiritual guides uh, uh, because uh, the the world is paying a bad price
1: right now, for example, by an absence of that. I absolutely agree with you. Um, You know, you've been with us for quite a long time Today and I really appreciate it. I wanted to know if I could ask you, if we can ask you just a couple more things. Do you have any books you would recommend or movies? Favorites books, of
3: yours? Any books that I would recommend? I'm no, probably books. not any that I would recommend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Favorites, but, favorite novels.
3: Uh, well, you know, my probably my, my all time, the book, I will tell you the book that had the greatest impression on me, that, that, that changed my life, okay? Which I read when I was about seventeen. Um, in fact, I was I, w- I went off to Paris. I went off to Europe when I was about seventeen, and I spent a summer in Paris. And while I was there, uh, I read Walden oh. by Thoreau, mm-hmm. and uh, and that book had the greatest impact on my life. You yeah. I was an ecologist for years. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I worked for the Tennessee Valley Authority as as, a, as an ecologist and, uh, uh, and that all grew out, well it grew out of several places but that, that book had an absolutely profound imp, uh, impression on me. Uh, the ideas that were in it really shaped the person mm-hmm. I became. Uh, the language that was in it uh, is a big contributor to, uh, to Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can, you know, as I say, I've been a writer all my life. In every, virtually every job I ever had, even from the very first job when I was working for the National Park Service, uh, I, I started writing some things for uh, for the park. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Thoreau talked, wrote in in long sentences, and I write, write in short ones. <laughs> But nonetheless, the rhythm of the language, uh, the music of it, uh, you know, it just, it really affected me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's certainly the most important book. Um, movies, hard to say. Uh, I love movies. Uh, I love Westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my all-time favorite movies are Westerns. Uh, someone actually, someone asked me Two days ago, what my favorite western was, oh. and I have to say, with that question, that it's uh, Once Upon a Time in the West.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. But,
3: uh, the Wild Bunch would come in close to second. Yeah. Uh, and part of what is so wonderful about both of those movies is the little details. And you talked about some of the little details in in the Gospel According to Billy the Kid. Yeah. And the visuality of those little details, I think, probably, really had some impact in writing this book. Mm. Uh, I don't know if if you've seen those movies, you probably have, you may not remember much of them. Oh, I remember them. very. They're they're
2: two of my favorites.
3: Yeah, and one of the things I mentioned about uh, the uh, Once Upon a Time in the West was the opening scene uh, where they were the... uh, these the gangsters are waiting for this guy to come in on the train yeah and there's a fly buzzing around. a great the, scene. yeah okay you know the scene. It's oh just yeah a little tiny detail okay mm-hmm. but it's so memorable
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh And in Wild Bunch, one of the early scenes is the kids playing in the street
1: a scorpion
0: the scorpions yeah
3: with
1: the scorpions.
3: I mean you know those things they just they really hit you. Yes, and, and, you know, so I consciously or unconsciously, and I'd have to say it's unconsciously, but those kinds of details crept into uh, the gospel according to Billy the Kid. So so um, I have to give all of those credit.
0: Thank you. you. You've also written a number of characters that are non-human characters. And when I was reading it, I thought Candy often says, I love a good interspecies story. <laughs> and you, you've written about a horse, a dog, and a bird in the most compelling way, and it was just so sad. I cried. I cried when they died. Yes. Well,
3: you're not alone. I cried when they died, too. Oh, I really did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, someone uh, someone said to me, you know, in, in one of these podcasts or, or whatever, I don't remember now what the circumstance was, but, you know, it talked about, you know, I, Billy became a fantasy novel, but it's not. You know, everything that I wrote in there is something that in fact could happen. Uh, I, I'm an, you know, I told you I'm an ecologist. I was a plant ecologist, but I was also a biologist in general, and I read a lot about uh, about biological world and what we are learning about animals today. You know, animals, all animals are so much more intelligent than than we think they are. Even flatworms are more intelligent than oh, they ab- are.
1: Absolutely. And it's obvious you're an animal lover or at least curious. Yeah. And you get 10 out of 10 for the interspecies novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I was a big Jack London, Moby Dick, anything with animals. I, would have, I obsessed over as a child. So uh, you did really good.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I usually avoid dog movies though because they're always too sad.
3: Well, they are sad, and uh, uh, and some people have complained to me about that in in this book. But you know, hey, you know, life is sad. I mean, life is
0: there. Yeah, sure it is. But it's also a very beautiful relationship that you set up between Billy and those animals. It's delightful. Good. Well, I'm I'm glad it worked for you.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I got to thank Alan Josephs. Um, my husband and I were having lunch with him in Pensacola in, I think it was April or May. And he said, you've got to read Dennis McCarthy's book. And I said, oh, is it good? And he said, it's really good. Wonderful. And, yeah,
0: yeah, and it, and it is. And you have no idea how much we appreciate you're taking your, your time and uh, joining us and chatting about it today.
3: Well, thank you. I mean, this is this is an honor for me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here, and I really thank you for uh, for inviting me. It's just, so um, I'm, and you've you've certainly brightened up my day just telling me how much <laughs> you enjoy the
1: book. Oh my God, yes! And I'm 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 gonna just tell I'm gonna scream into the heavens to sell that book. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and maybe we'll meet in New Mexico next year. Maybe so. Who All knows? right. Thank yeah. you so much. Or come back on for your next novel. All right. All right. <laughs> nice. To both. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you.
3: Bye.